This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 532 for November 2nd, 2016. Folks, welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and we should probably call this the MacBook Pro Podcast this week, right, Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld? Yes, we should. I mean, you know. <laughs> This is Macworld, and people want to hear about Macs. Macs. I know. it's There's a lot of Mac stuff to talk about, or rather, Sometimes a lot of Mac get... stuff to not talk about, unfortunately. Absolutely. Sometimes so. we get iPhone blindness. It's true. I'm going to sound very cynical, because uh, well, this will be a slightly cynical week. Last week, I was more optimistic, and then it's all sort of settled in. Um, <laughs> we recorded uh, later last week, uh, Roman Loyola, senior editor, and I talked about what had just been announced um, by Apple last Thursday. And you were there at the event, and they did the hands-on after. So in a few minutes, we'll, uh, we're going to start drilling down on the MacBook Pro, the future of the Mac, um, how Apple is doomed, et cetera, the usual. <laughs> it's Good doomed. Stuff. It's doomed, Good Susie. Stuff. Um, I think they're going to struggle through. Yeah, I think they might. Uh, but first, just a couple bits of news. Um, uh, this is uh, We use Twitter a lot. I may use it a little more than you do. It's possible. <laughs> You use it a little more than everybody. Um, everyone. When the election's over, I think I need to take like a Twitter fast. I've just been it's a sick fascination when things are difficult. I'm like, I need to get reaffirmation from the Twitter machine. Yeah. Click, click, click. Uh, but Twitter said uh, and the, is ending Vine, which was its uh, short video service. I don't know exactly what you call it. It was a way to make like little clippy videos you could sort of start and stop. And people almost immediately when it was released turned it into – an incredible art form. And I think popular yes. culture like became Vine for a bit. Like it just drove all these memes and things and ideas and people suddenly became uh, national stars with millions of people following them, which they turned into, you know, TV things and web series and um, many have migrated off. Uh, it's, uh, I don't think I ever made a Vine. Maybe I made one or two, um, but I certainly looked at thousands of them over the last few years. Yeah, I made some. They were really easy to embed. So I used to do my main Vine thing was um, I took Vines at concerts, which were terrible, and I shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry. And then the other thing I used Vine for was at in hands-on areas, like at Apple events and other events, if you needed to see something really quick, like iPhone 6S had live photos, and I was like, okay, here's what happens when I press the screen. Like I could you know, spend three paragraphs describing that, or I could just show it to you. And you can't take a picture of that, but you can take a vine and it'll loop for six seconds. It embeds into the article so beautifully. And then, yeah, so a lot, a few of my, a handful of my vines that I put in well-trafficked articles got a bajillion loops. So then Twitter has, when Twitter bought Vine, like Vine started as its own app and then Twitter bought it. Um, and then th there's an option to like actually put your Vine stats on your Twitter profile. And my pathetic Vines have two and a half million loops. Oh, my so, God. Wow. Yeah. So my Twitter profile like proudly boasts that. And people think I'm a Vine superstar when really it's just, you know, I took a, a few well-placed Vines and then put them on the well Internet. Well-placed Vines. It's, this is another example of Twitter not really knowing how to use something that's really popular that was um, the, the – they didn't develop – I mean, users didn't develop the technology, but Twitter didn't know what it would be used for. 
and an incredibly vibrant community was created, and people really loved it. So, of course, Twitter's killing it. That's kind of— They did this best stuff. It was so creative, <sighs> and it was so funny. So it's, it's six seconds, and they loop, and that was the whole thing. And people were like, oh, my gosh, like we can make it where the loop makes it funnier. Like uh-huh. all the best vines, like they get funnier as you watch them. And then I'm, I'm even seeing like vines that, I mean, comedy is kind of, you know, the, the main thrust, but I've seen some that are like sad and poignant and beautiful. And like they, they touch all of these emotions in six seconds. It's really quite remarkable. And I'm sad that Twitter has been getting rid of it. Yep. Um, the, the fun thing though, I don't really check the app as much as I should. So the, the, the one bright spot in this announcement is that everyone's been going back on Twitter and like yeah. reposting all their favorites and they are great because so many I missed the first time, like Lynn Manuel Miranda of Hamilton and um, in the Heights fame. Um, he, I, I wasn't following him on Vine, and I, you know, follow him on Twitter now, but I wasn't following him during the Vine heyday. And oh my gosh, he had all of these like awesome vines he was making, like while he was making working on Hamilton. So Hamilton oh, wasn't yeah. out yet, and he was like vining all these vines, and they're great. I mean, like theater nerds, like we we love the same stuff. So. Yeah, that's just one example of a whole sea of awesome vines. So if you want to see some of the best, um, head to Twitter and search for the um, RIP Vine hashtag and you'll see some good stuff. That's good. It's also important to note that um, like with a lot of things related to Twitter and with many social networks, African-Americans had leapt on this and uh, taken mm-hmm. made use of it in much greater proportion than, say, white folks, other people. And there's an article in the New York Times about this. Uh, I think it's in today's paper, looking at uh, the Tuesday's paper, looking into it. Um, and it's it's true. You know, there's a thing. There's black Twitter. Um, uh, and I think this is still the case, is that black people use Twitter at a, like a participation rate about twice that of white people. And that's kind of a hidden thing to white people because white people don't follow yeah. as many black people as black people follow white people. So there's this whole, you know, cultural exploration going on that's invisible to people who aren't part of it. And Vine was like the explosive outgrowth of that. It's like this medium that did not have the same, you know, being a person of color online, I am not, but I understand it is very difficult at times and sometimes all the time. And Vine broke out of that in interesting ways. And it was a cultural expression that didn't have the same negativity associated with it. Because even though you could put feedback on it, part of the feedback was just people watching it and spreading it. And so that's very positive. You don't have to read the comments. And sometimes there's like 50,000 comments. So no one posting the Vine can even read that. But um, I'm trying to remember, in, on Fleek, I think, may even have come from yes, Vine, right? Someone posted did. that a uh, woman came up with the term, and uh, suddenly everyone's using it. And she's like, I don't know what happened. I just said that. Um, all right, so that's our celebration of Vine, because it's a pretty great medium. And I noticed Jiffy, uh, G-I-P-H-Y, was offering help converting Vines to <gasps> Jiffy, so you can preserve no them. Yeah, which is great. To find that and link, that's awesome. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something Vine-like, but you know, it was the integration of Twitter and Vine, like the connection that helped, and the fact that uh, Twitter would preview and show uh, Vines in line. And then required that in the third-party software, I believe. Like uh, Instagram video is sort of similar, but it doesn't have the uh, same vibe. And spiral. It's, it's like it's sort of uh, yeah, walled well, you off. Can't, you can't repost Instagrams. Like yeah. you can with a separate app, but they just they don't catch fire like like such retweetable things thing. as Vines. Well, Twitter, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory once again. Know, like, hey, we have something Twitter. billions of people are watching, but um, there actually is a really good article about how the top Vine stars all got together, went to Twitter and said, look, give us each $1.2 million a year and what we will do 
And these are people who had had racked up billions of Vine plays, billions and billions of Vine plays. They said, give us this money, which was reasonable. Actually, it sounds like a lot of money, but it was reasonable, A, for video production, and B, relative to what people at YouTube and other places make who have become super popular. Mm -hmm. And they said, we will each, like each of us will produce three new Vines a week forever, right? And Twitter could have spent, I don't know what it was, like $25 million and probably you know, gotten half a billion views out of that they could have monetized in some fashion. And they hemmed and hawed and they said, eh, and they wouldn't, you know, they didn't have features. And it's just another sign of dysfunctional management there. They've gone through a lot of changes. They keep changing their direction. They won't deal with the abuse problem, which is a reason that apparently, you know, reportedly Disney did not want to buy Twitter because it's a too abusive an environment. Good. Yeah, I know it's a rotten. So we all, you know, we all love and hate Twitter at this point. And I just want them to realize their potential instead of continuing to this but yeah. enough of twitter Work on the other real things. problems they're just like oh yeah. we have all these real problems let's invent a problem which is that we have vine and we don't want it anymore like it's, it's just it's a up. great medium it's used by tons of people it's integrated well into you know ios it's kind of almost not a native thing but it's built in and there you go uh let's talk about something more core apple though apple core oh, ha, ha, ha. apple tv uh we talked uh, roman and i talked about this a bit last week but you had a chance to actually look at the tv app while you were at the event. And, uh, this I got a demo that was uh, rudely interrupted by Apple CEO Tim Cook, not once, but twice. <laughs> interrupted when he walked over and poked at you or something? He, like, well, he does He does a few laps through the hands-on area, yeah. which um, I actually heard Apple PR calling the HOA for hands-on area. And I was like, homeowners oh. association. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, oh. you have an acronym for the hands-on area. That's adorable. Oh, so all the insider things are coming out right now. Oh. So Tim Cook does a lap kind of through and he will, if there's a musical guest, you know, like you'll get a picture of him like showing, you know, Sia the, 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 new iPhone or something. So he took a walk through and I was getting a demo from the nice demo guy in the, in the back corner of the, the HOA, um, looking at the Apple TV and he just kind of like walks past and like he's followed by this huge scrum of photographers. That's just getting, you know, pictures. And then he's got PR kind of handlers, like yeah, pushing yeah. people, like sort of nudging people aside so he can get through and they're like steering him through. So it's not just like Tim Cook walks up and says like, st starts talking to the guy and I can't get my demo. Like Tim Cook's whole entourage just kind of like maneuvers itself between like me and the guy and this TV and he's like hey you're showing off the Apple TV thing and he's like yeah and I'm just like standing there I'm like hi and he's like hi <laughs> and he like keeps going and then I'm like okay you can continue so and then that happened again while he was like because we were in the corner so he sort of came back into the <sighs> corner and he had to like leave again anyway um yeah the app looks pretty nice um it has to. It's it's gonna be like it's gonna be like Siri search with the Apple TV, where it sounds like it would be amazing if everything supported it, and only like a fraction of things are supported. So it's gonna be a way for Apple to push to you like the stuff that they want you to buy or rent from them, as well as you're gonna have a little queue of the things you have been watching in different supported apps. So if Hulu is supported and you're binging something on Hulu, it'll serve you up the next episode, whether that's something, you know, like a, a whole season that's been posted and you're binging, it'll give you the next one. Mm -hmm. Or if it's like a week by week thing, you're watching You're the Worst or something and it's coming out one per week, it'll let you know when the new one's out. So that's kind of nice. Um, and then there's going to be a live sports and a live – and the live thing is actually um, – it's actually live now. Um, so you can fire up your Apple TV and say, watch CBS News or any of the apps that have a live feed. 
um, supported apps that have a live feed. So CBS yeah. News has just a live feed. And if you say, I want to watch CBS News, it'll launch that app and automatically go into the live feed. So it just starts playing and you don't have to like, you know, then navigate through the C- CBS News menus and say, I want the live feed. It'll just start. And then while that's playing, you can swipe up on the trackpad to see the other, you know, stories and segments that are in the CBS News app without having to go to a static menu, like the live video is still playing. So that's an improvement. It's a small improvement, but that's an improvement. And then um, they're also going to support um, searching for live sports. So you can say what games are on right now, and Siri will show you, um, you know, right now it's a Tuesday at 9.30, so there's probably not a lot of pro sports being played. But on a, like a college football Saturday, there's a m- bunch of games happening at once, and they'll show you all the games that are happening that Siri already knows about. You know, you can ask Siri about sports. So they'll know about all of those. And then the ones that are live in a supported app, um, ESPN was the only one they really had going now in the demo. So, And then you'll be able to just jump right into one of those games. So that's kind of nice. So it's going to support ESPN and the NHL app um, at, from the, from the get go. So if, you know, I, I don't know, I'd rather have it support the baseball app and, um, the basketball app. Cause those are a little more popular than hockey, I would think, but I could be wrong. Um, and then I watch a lot of live sports through sling, which is a separate service. It's like a, it's like a little cable service that's um, on the internet. So you get a bundle of channels and you can watch it on your computer. There's a really great Apple TV app that lets you watch it on Apple TV. You can watch it on iPad, all those things. So, but it's like, it's kind of like a little cable service. Like I have one sign on and then it shows me a list of channels that I can watch live. And then those channels have certain on-demand things. It doesn't have a DVR. Like I can't record a live thing and play it later, but a lot of the live programs do then become available on demand. But the thing about it is it's great for sports. It has all the ESPN channels and we get like all the, a lot of the college football, like specific stations, like there's an SEC network and a big 10 network and just all these different things. So we get tons and tons and tons of college sports and we're watching most of our live sports now through sling and sling isn't supported. So if I ask Siri, what live sports are on, she can't see inside sling. But the guy told me that services like that could become part of the single sign-on thing. And this is an anticipated part of Apple TV too. It's not live yet. But if you have a cable provider um, credentials, you'll be able to log in to Apple TV single sign-on in the settings somewhere, and then it'll show you all the apps that support that login. So if you are a Comcast customer, you can sign in and it can say, okay, your Comcast credentials are supported by the ABC app, the Disney app, like all these apps. And then you won't have to sign into all those individually. They'll all be signed in. Um, I think you can, it'll even like suggest to you if you're like missing some, you didn't know that you had access to, you know, Disney Junior. So that's going to be really great. And they they did leave open the door for over-the-top um, services like Sling to someday support single sign-on. So if that happens... I would be able to watch my Sling programming inside Sling, but I would also be able to use Sling to sign in my Sling login to sign into other apps, which would be kind of cool. Like the Sling app's pretty good and it's one-stop shopping, but if I'm using other apps, then you know those might be better supported in the TV apps, 
you know, watch later, um, you know, for you kind of menus, which look a little um, iOS music app. Mm -hmm. So I'm not loving that. They sort of kind of looks like a cross between the iTunes, like movie TV stores and the Apple music app. So it's trying to sell you things. It's trying to suggest things. They're going to have, you know, creation, uh, curated collections from their own staffers, which they do now. If you go like shop for, for movies in the iTunes store, it'll say, oh, here's all the Halloween movies. And someone went and picked those out and kind of bundled them together. So they're going to do that for the TV app too. So, I mean, it looks nice. It's not quite the be all end all that they're saying because, you know, not every app is supported and, uh, you know, there's a big, uh, hole right now in that Netflix isn't a launch partner for this. Right. And Amazon video. Of, yeah. And Amazon it, video, which, on Apple still TV, is not Apple TV. which seems like, a, I mean, those are the two big services. So it's problematic. Although, I mean, it's a TV app isn't launching till December. December. Yeah. So there's room. So I have this main contention, you know, and I think this plays into the TV app is I think Apple has made a mistake in orienting all of its OSs around apps. Not that they shouldn't be apps, but that the um, it's like the Mac, like it's like the Mac desktop became the uh, with or, should, or like the applications folder more specifically, uh, or Launchpad uh, even um, <laughs> like or whatever it's called now. It's still called Launchpad. Yeah, I can't it's called Launchpad. Launchpad. I just laugh every time I hear it. Yeah. No one but it's like Apple got this idea in its head that everybody wanted to think about things in terms of apps, and it's so wrong. And even if the future is apps, like all each. You know, they have been pushing that every TV service has its own app, even though many of them are made by the same company. So, you know, some of them are just basically a skin to Hulu. You know, they're not made by or whoever's developing Hulu's app, if it's in-house or out. Uh, and I think, you know, the tvOS is the worst culprit for this because in iOS, you're doing all kinds of different things. It would be useful if there were more organizational screen, uh, systems than the springboard and like screen after screen of apps. Oh, I can put them in folders. We'll have to drag them. In, uh, you know, it's a nightmare if you have many apps. TVOS encourages many apps because of this app specific channel thing. And I'm like, as I hear about the, when TV, uh, the TV app was announced, I thought this should be the guiding interface. There should be a TV screen, a sports screen, a movie screen, a game screen, and an other screen, you know? And because people don't go to their TV to scroll through apps and rearrange apps, I want to know what's on TV. If I have to install, 20 apps to make that happen. That's fine. I don't care. Single sign on makes that much less painless or painful. Right. But it's, um, the idea that my approach, cause everything you described, there's limitations and there's issues. You know, the music app has issues. We don't love exactly how it works in iOS. Uh, but the fact that I have to do, spend so much time managing my apps on a TV is just wrong. And the same thing like watch OS one and two, had the wrong orientation that people wanted a matrix of apps. And it's like, despite the size and, you know, difficulty of navigation, it was still this like, well, no, I want to do things. Watch OS 3 is around things that you do with the watch. TVOS is still like, hey, here's a screen full of apps and we're going to make some of it work a little better. It's like, no, give me like TV, the TV app. There should be, shouldn't be an app. It should be in a way in which I'm using Apple TV. Uh, it should not be a separate thing that I have to then install and run or it's automatic and I run. Um, I even have the problem with, I was talking about this Roman last week, but I'll repeat it, is uh, sharing, iTunes sharing. iTunes sharing is horrible in Apple TV, right? I mean, you can use it, but you have to navigate down. It loses your position. It doesn't integrate the results. So 
it's like I have this network full of content and I can access it from Apple TV, but Apple TV doesn't know about it. So I want to watch a Doctor Who. I recorded Saturday Night Live over the air and I can't say, you know, play Saturday Night Live. And if I exit the app, the sharing app, I have to go back and navigate all the way down to that item unless it's magically showing in that bar at the top um, when I select the app, you know, the I forget what they call that, the uh, preview bar or something. It's above the apps at the top. Yeah, uh, I can. If it shows up there, I can select it and resume from there. But um, I just feel like Apple TV remains the dog's lunch in terms of the interface. Like I use it all the time. I like it. It's kind of you know I subscribed to HBO recently to watch Westworld, HBO Now, um, and it's a, a very nice experience. Um, HBO's app is kind of weird because it's not customized and it's really hard to. I still can't figure out how to. I'm like I want to make favorites in it, and I I don't know if there's a way to do that. I think there is, but. I don't know. Um, so I just find the whole idea of like me having to, as a user, having to understand what I have installed, navigate through it, and then orient myself around how business units are structured <laughs> instead of what I want to watch or play. You know, how about, you know, I want, you know, hey, and Siri, it, Siri breaks down silos, right? In iOS and now a little bit in macOS, but especially in Apple TV, Siri is a way to get around a bad interface. Yeah, yeah. I've not been impressed with Siri on the Apple TV at all. Oh, but I, I, but I mean in terms of Siri lets you say something like, even if it doesn't work, but it's supposed to let you say something like, find me all the – you know, episodes of Doctor Who, you know, I want to watch, uh, I just you know, don't use it because it doesn't work. It doesn't Auburn. find me the stuff really? I want. And then it always, like, it doesn't, it, it, again, it can't search inside the apps that I use the most. Yeah, that's true. Um, right. And that's, but, but I think Siri is the attempt to break down the silos that Apple made. So you have one group saying, to sell you stuff from Apple. Like it doesn't, it yeah, doesn't yeah, really right. work with the third party stuff very well at all. And it's, it's really hard to it's, get it to find things. And Apple TV is not a failure. The reason we, we the reason you, not, you and I critique Apple TV so much is we use it so much, Every right? Every day. Like, yeah. I use it. It's the primary way through which I consume video content. I don't use anything else. I don't, I mean, I, so actually, the only other thing I do is I use my Samsung TV to do Amazon video because that's mm -hmm. built in. So I'd rather do that than have to use AirPlay and have a second iOS device and deal with streaming. The Samsung handles, you know, it, it gets me up to 1080p and all that. So I critique Apple TV from the basis of using Apple TV. <laughs> um, I think uh, my friend uh, Joe Rosasteel uh, just got, um, I don't know if his site is back up yet. He wrote something about Apple TV the other day. Um, his, his site is joe-steel.com. Uh, and uh, he got Hacker News. So um, I think it's he, – he wrote about what he was hoping would have been announced and was very disappointed by it. Um, so the site is now back up because I think Hacker News has come and gone uh, and um, he has some really detailed critiques. So if you want somebody, he's in the entertainment industry. He's a uh, works in uh, animation field or effects field rather. So um, in filmmaking. So um, he has a lot of things to say about it, and uh, always like what Joe has to say from being both a power user and in in the industry. Uh, are you so ready? Wait, to, oh yeah, you're no. not ready to move on. What else? What else was more more? There's a few more um, interesting things about the TV app. So oh, yeah. the goal is that it's going to get you watching things faster. So, you, you know, if 
it is a little weird that it isn't like the main launch interface. I don't want it to be the main launch interface just because it has such huge holes. You'd have to like exit out of the main launch interface to watch Netflix and that would suck. Oh yeah. So, um, so it, but it is supposed to get you watching things faster. Um, in traditional Apple style, I think it's going to be really awkward for families and I'm really disappointed that they don't have some kind of, you know, way to let the Apple TV know like who is watching it because I mean, so Apple, they just don't think anyone's going to share devices. And that is annoying on, you know, the iOS side and the Mac side. Well, and the Mac is the best at, 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 you know, having different user accounts and on the iOS side, it's annoying, but on the TV side, it just doesn't even make sense. Well, like I know. nobody, everyone in the family uses this TV. Netflix so, even can do this. You can have the kids yes. account Netflix and you can use the Netflix app and switch among them. Um, no, this is yeah, part no, of and we do that all the time because my, oh. you know, my son, we we're cord cutters. So my son watches a lot of stuff on Netflix and I, you know, I don't want it to be pushing like oh. new power rangers at me all the time. Like that's his. I don't think the HBO now app has an age restriction thing either. Right. Like HBO now will let you see, you know, game of Thrones. Like uh, it has a lot of kids programming, but I don't believe there's a way. Yeah. I mean, this is Apple. This is something I've been banging a drum about for years. I know you have as well is that Apple acts as if they have, tools for families or multiple people in a household, even if it's not a family. And they do not, they basically don't even the Mac tools. It's only been in the last few years that Mac OS finally got to a point where some things are actually specific by account. Other things still broke. If two people were trying to use it in different accounts uh, for years, but iOS it's, it's, it's bizarre to me, unless you're just trying to bully people into buying multiple devices, why you wouldn't have accounts in iOS. There's no reason not to have accounts in iOS. Yeah, well, I mean, so so the, the fact that the tvOS doesn't have accounts, I think, is going to be a little awkward because yeah. it's going to mix up everything that anyone in your house was watching. So if you were watching something and then you know your kids came along and watched five more things, your stuff is going to get buried, <sighs> and your, recommend, your, your recommendations are going to get you know a little tweaked. And I don't know what they can do. Like maybe a next gen Siri remote will have a Touch ID on it. I don't know, but it would just be nice if they they thought about the fact that you know people share their TVs with their whole households. I don't think Apple thinks about families. Yeah, and I don't then the think other so awkward thing is that um, speaking of iOS. This TV app is completely replacing the video app on iOS. So the video right. app is going to be totally gone. And if you want to watch your movies or videos that you've purchased from the iTunes store, you're going to be opening the TV app and selecting the library tab. Oh, wait, I'm going to open the so, TV app to watch movies. That's even better. Um, yeah, you're going to need to open the... The TV app? The TV app to watch movies. So that's going to be something <sighs> people need to kind of retrain themselves for. And it's also going to be kind of like the iOS music app where even if you don't subscribe to Apple Music and, you, you know, it's it's just all that stuff is sort of still there. Yeah. And, and you have to kind of work around it to get to your library of things that you own. Whereas the old video app like was just that. It was the library of things that you own. So now the TV app is going to have that library, but it's going to have you know all those other tabs and things too. So, you know, a little more cluttered on the iOS side, but you know, this app could be good. It's 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 hard to like judge it without having used it that much. But from the demo, like I just see a lot of of um, potential pain points. Yeah, I um I think it's going to be better 
but exactly that. It's not going to really still be the full answer, which requires kind of an overhaul of tvOS. I don't I don't think tvOS is the right form. In the same way that watchOS had to go through iterations, I think tvOS has not uh, gotten to the place it should be. I don't think iOS has either. I'm still, every time I launch, every time I hit the home button and I'm faced with a screen of apps, I think this is not how I want to use this device. And again, Siri is the bypass. You know, I, I use Siri to say, show me stock price, open such and such an app. It's a way to bypass the interface. Siri breaks through the fundamental problems, the graphical interface that um, for selecting stuff. Uh, let's move on to the MacBook Pro, shall we? Yes. All right. Um, You had hands-on experience with it. So uh, this is, and you wrote an article for this publication called MacWorld.com, and uh, you got some time with it. So what do you think about? um, I mean, the big issue for this is keyboard, and uh, I think for what you could do in a hands-on space, right, is keyboard and the touch bar. Um, And I keep forgetting. I should know this. You have a MacBook, right? You use a MacBook. Um, my daily driver, as they say, yes. is a 13 inch MacBook Air from oh, right. years okay. and years and years ago. So, because you had a yeah. MacBook, I have a MacBook, so I'm familiar with and like the keyboard. We have a couple of MacBooks around the office, and no one uses them because of the, the port thing is such a pain in the butt. Yeah, I, I signed on to the port thing, but um, so I'm I'm okay with the keyboard. I think it's fine. It's not the, my favorite keyboard. So we keep sending you all our docks and cables. Know, it's great. I'm just test, I'm the so USB C like, guy. Well, well, yeah. I don't know. Thunderbolt Thunderbolt uh, I did three a will video be problematic. Yesterday with the new MacBook Pro, and I was like, can I asked Roman? I'm like, do you just have like a USB C dock around here, just that I can show as an example? <laughs> like, here is a USB C dock. You might want to buy one, and we found one, but we only had like one. All the other ones are I with have, you. Piles, or I keep trying to send them back. You know, f- folks inside baseball, we typically review uh, return review equipment unless the company says keep it, in which case we donate it or we keep it around for testing. But the idea is, if you get hardware, we don't. You know, publications mostly have editorial policies that say you don't keep review hardware because then you would be out there trying to get review hardware. Uh, and give positive reviews to get more of it. It's a conflict of interest, in a tip, or how it's typically seen. Not all publications do this, but most um, most uh, have that as an ethics policy. So I have piles of docs. I'm like, hey, can I send this back? They're like, nah, just keep it because it's so it's more expensive for them to ship it back. And they're like, ah, you know, it's a sixty dollar item. And so I have piles of these things around, which is great for testing. Um, I should send some down to California. Uh, but, um, so, but the keyboard, so the two things that you could probably test most in person, right. Are, I mean, there's the lightness, there's the shape, there's the keyboard, which is an improved, ostensibly improved version from the 2016 MacBook, uh, and then the touch bar. So what's, what's your impression of this thing? Do you have, uh, do you feel, were you able to get enough in a few minutes to, uh, feel strongly about anything? Um, the touch bar is really neat. Um, I, you know, I, I was making fun of the idea of a touchscreen Mac and I still think a touchscreen laptop, you know, Mac is, is not a great idea, but I like how it seems like it's bringing in sort of the best parts of the iOS software keyboard, which I really like on the iPad pro, um, to the Mac. So, so I love how, you can get the emoji, you know, picker, like p- picking out an emoji with the character viewer on a Mac. It's like, it's really awkward. You have to do command option space, I think, to open it up. And then, and then you have to, you know, click through to find the thing you want. When you find the emoji you want, you have to double click it to, mm-hmm. to put it in. And then when you switch apps, like it's the character viewer has to be invoked in each app. It's, it's very strange. So that's a big improvement. Um, <laughs> but you know, who's going to upgrade their laptop just to make it easier to like text friends emoji from their Mac. Um, 
the the thing that I think is really cool about it um, that that I was most impressed with was during mail. Um, there's when you're in your mail inbox and you're sorting through email, um, the contextual uh, controls on the touch bar will offer to archive it to you. They'll say, okay, do you want, there's always an archive button, but then if you have a lot of folders, it'll guess which folder you might want to file something in and say like, move to vacations, move to family, move to, you know, work. And it'll, it'll file things for you. It'll guess where you want something filed. So that's kind of neat. I sort of wish that that was everywhere. Um, because that wouldn't need to be in a touch bar. That could just be on the screen on my MacBook Air. Um, the other cool thing that it did um, that I love on iOS that I was that I thought would be great was the quick type suggestions. When mm-hmm. you're typing, it'll it'll pop up. But then I tested it and it's super slow. Like it just it, it I I'm not even like the fastest typer. I don't know my actual typing speed, but um, but you know I type for a living, so I'm I'm pretty good. I'm not like a hunt and pecker. I'm typing you know ten finger touch typing like like I was trained. And it cannot keep up at all. Like it didn't even try. Right. It would just wait until I was done typing and then give me suggestions for like the oh, last word that I typed. Yeah, it was I'm, really sad. I, I was I saw that in your uh, hands on. I was really surprised by it because I was you thinking have to slow way down well, if you so, want suggestions while you're typing. But if you have like a sandwich in one hand, you know how you're eating at your desk and like someone's like slacking you. No, I don't know. I don't know. I refuse I, I know, to know. It's a weird unacceptable. scenario. In case you're sandwich computing and you're trying to type out, you know, one finger responses to someone, then it's perfect because you can get a few letters in and then that word might come up on quick type. So it'd be really good for for one handed replies. I mean, like there's there's someone on our staff, not going to name names, Uh, who can't type and he types with two fingers. What? So this would be good for him. I'm going to find that person. Smack with, uh, my, my father, when I was age 11 or so, suggested that learning to touch type could be useful for the future because of these things called computers that were coming. And so I learned to touch type, never looked back. Uh, that was only five years ago, though, because I'm 16. Uh, the uh, thing I would want to point out here is something we talked about a little bit last week, I think, and um, just got more information since, is that the um, touch bar is effectively running some kind of, it's running an OS. All keyboards are running some kind of tiny OS because they're peripherals. The touch bar is running something that might be like watch OS. There's some different disputes. Some people are getting, you know, leaks from inside Apple or, or people talking to, uh, uh, anonymously, uh, to, uh, various reporters and, and, uh, writers. Um, so it's running something that is probably iOS derived. It's probably a Unix variant. It's got a T1 chip as Apple discussed with you. That is, seems like a system on a chip variant of the S1 that's yeah, in the, the Apple it's a Watch. It's of the S2, they said. Oh, sorry, S2. And then uh, it's got a secure enclave and it's, you know, it's talking to, it may even be controlling the camera. That's not clear yet for it security is. No, purposes. No, they told me, they confirmed that. It's oh, controlling the Wait, camera. It, I well, it's that controlling was still... the camera ISP, they said. So oh, I don't I know if that's because that was in the system on a chip, that, but uh, yeah. So oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't thought that, that might confirmed. be a security thing. In yeah, some they, places it's actually discussed as if it wasn't a confirmed fact. Okay. So that's great. So, well, they told me in the demo, they were like, yeah, it's, oh, it's okay. It, well, it's so the, doing, so the, um, it's mostly for mm-hmm. the secure enclave and for touch ID, but they said it also does the camera ISP. And I think this is really cool. Like this might be the path to Apple being able to, you know, power its own Mac chips. Like part of the reason we had to wait for some of these is because like the new Intel chips aren't coming out. Um, you know, on time they they didn't have the they still don't have the quad core um, Cabby Lake chips out, which is why these have right. uh, the one before it. Uh, so something Sky Lake, Lake? Uh, Sky, Sky Lake. Lake, yeah, Sky yeah. Lake. 
It's the previous so, generation. Right, there are some Cabby Lake uh, chips or uh, uh, laptops already two shipping core from. Ones out. So yeah. those are like you know those are more MacBook size, but the Pro ones that would need a quad core. There's no quad core Cabby Lakes out yet, so that's why right. it has Skylake. But this is kind of neat because so it, it's an ARM based chip that Apple made, and 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 it's just doing specific things. Like they're like, okay, well we will use the Intel for you know like the computer parts, but then we can use our own chip just for these specific functions. And I think that's really neat. Well, so it needs it for Touch ID because you need a secure enclave to chip to use Touch ID. So yeah. that's and you can't and see I thought originally it's like well it could be the Touch Bar is a thing, but how is it integrating? I figured there was some direct connection because the secure enclave in an iOS device is a is somewhat tamper resistant. It's integrated very closely. It's like right, you know, it's like it's like wired in practically to the processor. It's not like a separate thing off somewhere else. But um, the question, the thing I wonder is because uh, what I was reading is that it's uh, the Touch Bar communicates as a USB peripheral to uh, Mac OS, so it's integral, but it's being written back and forth. And my, what I'm wondering is, and so, uh, sorry, so Mac OS it treats it like a display device, and it's writing uh, frame buffering. It's like writing uh, frames that are sent in real time to the Touch Bar. So the Touch Bar is not rendering frames; it's capturing touch events and doing other kinds of interactions separately, relaying those to macOS, which then handles it and passes it back. Oh, that's, maybe that's why QuickType was so slow. Well, that's my question is, uh, yeah, you can't watch movies on it, right? <laughs> but my question is, is the there must be, or there could be, optimization that still needs to happen before the touch bar ships. Maybe they're going to fix that. So if the um, you're typing away super fast, Maybe it's not refreshing. Well, but it's not refreshing. The suggestions should be able to refresh. I mean, in iOS, they come up instantly. Why is there a difference? It may be a frame rendering issue or some holdup. So ostensibly, they could tweak and optimize that before they ship the touch bar. Um, but that that might be one explanation because it shouldn't be. There's no. I mean, it's an instantaneous process. It's not like something has to happen for it to calculate. Um, you know, for five seconds, why what the uh, thing it's going to suggest for you to be in. Yeah, I wish I would have taken a video of it because it was it was disturbingly laggy. But, uh, you know, that was a demo machine. Maybe right. maybe they'll fix it. Well, we'll see. Um, so uh, we were talking about, oh, uh, there's a very small thing you don't think you heard, which was uh, at the event, but the chime is gone by default from the new MacBook Pros. Some people were like, oh, it's the end of the Mac because the chime is gone. You can turn it back on. We'll put it in the show notes. There's a, I'm really excited that you can turn it back on. Like, it, I don't I don't know if I even care that it's gone, but no. I'm excited that you can turn it back on. Well, and you can also, which I had, I don't really care. I kind of like hearing the startup sound because I know something's happening or when I'm resetting a Mac or something. Uh, you can turn it off. There are NVRAM settings you can modify for your terminal. Oh. And so if you have a Mac and you'd rather it not chime when it starts up or reboots, you can disable that too. Uh, but it's kind of loud. Yeah, it can be, um, especially if, if you're, you're installing an update or whatever, and yeah. it reboots, and they can just be like, "Bang!" Well, if it has a default volume, if you're resetting the uh, S Mac or doing some other things, it will it'll uh, reset the volume to ten or whatever the default is. Like, ah, interesting. Um, so we're talking the the big issue I think with the MacBook Pro and the thing that is generating tons of buzz and discussion and anger and weeping and so forth is is this really a Pro? Is it a Pro model in the way that not is it a machine that's desirable for people who will use it seriously? I was just having a discussion on Twitter with a friend of mine who uh, works at a, a different computer company and loves MacBooks. He said, well, I'm a pro. I'm using it intensively all the time. And I'm like, when I say intensively, I mean computationally intensively. The, yeah. the pro was always, you know, a MacBook or something like it was a student machine or a machine for like general office work. And you could get anything done in a MacBook. But when you needed to 
do stuff that was CPU or later GPU intensive, you went to a MacBook Pro, just like you'd go to a Mac Pro in the old days. You know, the iMac now is ostensibly the better machine there, but it was it was that kind of split. So you'd want to have um, the Pro, you know, a MacBook might have integrated GPU and be sharing memory. The Pro would have a separate GPU and even a GPU upgrade option and some other things where you could trade off battery life and GPU processing. And, um, you know, my friend Brianna Wu, friend of the show, has been on the show before. Um, she is very disappointed. She's a, a, you know, video game developer and very interested in VR and uh, feels like the top of the line Apple laptop is not powerful enough for what is needed for gaming VR and that kind of development. And um, the one thing I'll say the caveat there or the proviso, which, which she knows and other people have discussed is Thunderbolt three supports external GPUs and it has a 40 gigabit per second bus. So ostensibly there will be uh, external GPUs for people who need them, but that's different than being able to walk around as a consumer and have a device that's powerful enough on its own as opposed to a developer, right? So certain creative professionals will get the external GPU and boost the thing up. Um, but, but the question is not, is this a good Mac? It looks like it's a great Mac. I mean, it, you know, people may or may not like the keyboard because they didn't like the, they don't like that action. Um, Jason Snell is not a fan of that style. And he, I think he, uh, wrote something already about not loving. He's like, you know, he said, uh, Phil Schiller said, this is a better keyboard. It's improved from the MacBook style. Um, you know, which is always a problem when you're saying this other thing we made, this is better. It has the same <laughs> travel and they're not, uh, they're not using like haptics or anything to enhance like the key strike. They just use different materials. Yeah, so, so the whole second gen butterfly thing is they used different materials that they think provide a better feel. Yeah. So some people, I know the MacBook keyboard drives some people batty and I yeah. like it. I'm fine with it. I've gotten used to it. It's not my preferred keyboard style, but I can do perfectly well with it. And my coworkers um, hate it because it's a lot louder. Right, I so, pound on it. So that's even another thing. So they made a thin, com a thin computer when it wasn't needed, right? They could have put, um, there's a lot of factors. We're talking, a lot of people are talking about the 16 gigabyte memory limit, which in 2016 is not, great like professionals again there's things that just chew away you know ssds are great these are much higher performance ssds right we have a an article up about um how uh, these may be like a top performing ssd which is terrific i mean these are going to be super terrific fast machines right but 16 gigs you know memory and uh, 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 ram and disk whether it's ssd or hard disk those are two very different kinds of things so again creative professionals pushing the limits of are not pushing limits, just doing routine work in Photoshop, Final Cut Express, uh, animation programs, video, you know, audio editing, all the things that have heavy CPU, GPU usage. They want as much RAM as possible because you want to keep it all loaded at once and have all these things happen instead of being swapping back and forth, even to high-performance SSD. So the question is, is it really – it's not that it's not a pro, but it's not like the pro – comparison in the past where it was really clear who it was for and when the pro models were released uh it was really clear that these are machines that professionals creative professionals working in fields that were against cpu gpu intensive uh would have prefer it would be maybe become their main model if they weren't using a desktop it would be the thing they travel with or it might be a strong alternative to a desktop so that's my, I'm unpacking a lot, but that's what I'm hearing from folks. And I think it, um, I think it makes sense too. Yeah. If it still can't do VR, that's can't, really disappointing. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it, well, I, I don't know. It's like the, between the memory, the GPU and the processing, we'll see. Um, yeah, I'm not finding a lot of like, I'm just sort of searching around trying to see if there's, you know, like a, 
a consensus here and there really isn't. I think you're seeing in a lot of different places, um, there's people talking about the trade-offs and Apple has really pushed this thin thing when I don't think for a pro thin is the thing. So it's three, the, yeah, one of the models they're saying, this is three pounds and hey, the pro is three pounds. It's like, well, that's not, you know, make it three and a half pounds, make it three pounds and three quarters and you know, you could and also they're not even weighing all the adapters. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> How well, many pounds of adapters do you need? And I mean, there's the there's this discussion that the reason it can only go to 16 gigabytes is that it's using low power memory to preserve battery strength, and that uh, Skylake and then uh, KB uh, Lake until um, a new version that isn't out yet. It may not be out until 2018. I think was the roadmap. Uh, might not be able to support low power memory above 16 gigabytes. So. I don't know if there's uh, like a strong confirmation of that, but it's a reasonable, I mean, I shouldn't say that fa- those facts are there, uh, but Apple always has choices. So there's this, this plays into this discussion is Apple being held back by Intel's roadmap because for it to push forward in certain areas, it needs a chip that can support what they want to do. Apple made the choice that if they're going for thin, long battery life, fewer ports, like a fewer port complexity, then they're, constrained by Intel's ability to advance. And Intel is really kind of, you know, lagging in terms of that, especially compared to what Apple's doing with ARM chips. So there is, um, there's a lot to unpack about what's coming. Um, this may be the path, we you know, we are talking before, maybe Apple will be offloading more stuff onto its ARM chips on future MacBooks, right? Um, we've talked for years about whether there'd be an ARM-based MacBook that would run macOS. It wouldn't run iOS, but it would give up on uh, Intel processors altogether. That would be crazy. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I assume, you know, we've talked about this before. I assume that uh, Apple is always testing stuff in the lab, some of which never sees the light of day. Probably a bunch of it doesn't. I assume they have macOS running on ARM chips because they should be. There's no, Yeah, you know, of course they, they do. Right. And so they're testing it and they're benchmarking it. And when they're doing stuff, you know, in the fab and they're sampling or simulating or sampling, you know, the A11 or whatever they're working on, they're testing that. And at some point they'll be like, all right, you know, the iPhone 7 is a tremendously fast device. It compares benchmark-wise to some of Apple's laptops. So mm-hmm. we're at the point where another generation or so, um, I mean, there's other constraints too about GPUs and other things, but another generation or so, it's possible that an ARM chip could just run Mac OS. And that's not yeah. a convergence thing. It doesn't have to be dual boot. It doesn't have to be a convergence thing, whatever. It could literally just be, hey, we replaced the Intel blah blah with you know, the, uh, the A12, <laughs> and that's just it. The quad-core A12, and boom. Yeah, I mean, the software, at least on the consumer side, is, you know, just as powerful on iOS as it is on the Mac OS. So, like, they're getting a lot closer. Yep. I mean, it'd be a big burden for developers, but Xcode has been under development this long in order to avoid uh, people having to have dependencies. And I don't know how hard it would be to recompile Mac OS apps for a Mac OS that runs an ARM. Maybe you just, maybe it's just one of those universal things where you run it and it makes a ARM and a, uh, a Intel version at the same time. I don't know, but um, there, I assume Apple is testing all this stuff. Um, I wanted to refer, we'll put in the show notes, Chuck von Rossbach, who used to work at Apple uh, for many years. And um, he has a very subtle, good long take about, like why people are so up in arms about this in particular. And part of it is, I agree with him, is because Apple, I mean, are we ready to talk about, the, we'll, we'll talk about adapters in a second, but it's the fact that Apple updated the MacBook Pros. It's a little bit, I mean, performance is, is good. It's not like these are bad machines, 
but it's not not exactly what people expected from the next Pro model. And there's no word about the iMac, the Mac Mini, or the Mac Pro, which are long in the tooth. So um, Chuck suggested Apple could have uh, just put a little signal in. You know, there's more to come. One slide, do something, which is sometimes not in their nature to hint about the future. They do it. I mean, they hinted about the Mac Pro. Uh, Pim, uh, Tim Cook's on other hinting in the last few years about things that have then come to pass. But he said they could have forestalled this because right now people don't know when these other Macs will be updated and and whether it could be another year. It's um, And the Mac Pro in particular, developers and uh, creative professionals are really suffering without the ability to buy modern top-of-the-line units. And I expect where the software is possible for them to migrate, many people have probably migrated to Windows gear, which is cheaper, better bag for the buck, and more configurable if the apps are available to need. And some companies do cross-licensing. So if you bought a Mac version of some high-end product, you can cross-license and switch to Windows for some fee instead of having to repurchase. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, what do you think? I mean, do you think, are, are you concerned about the future of the Mac? I'm a little, I'm a little concerned after that. A little bit. I'm not, I'm not unconcerned. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the, it's, like it's going to go away, but it's more like the staleness as opposed to, will they yeah. cancel? They're not going to cancel Macs, but everything is very stale now. It seems like I mean, the staleness like it's ever been. it sounds like they're out of the display game, which is a bummer because yeah. they make the best displays. All right, we should um, point out they were they were showing off the LG uh, 5K displays, which seems a little weird, and they're going to sell them in the stores. Do you have a price on that yet? Uh, I think it's fourteen. It's your fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars, which is not bad for a 5K display. It's not too bad. Yeah, that requires Thunderbolt three. We can talk about that in a second, but um, but yeah, I mean, oh, it's it's thirteen hundred bucks. Well, thirteen hundred bucks. Oh, I thought it was fourteen. Well, so that's great. Yeah, I might as well get two. Yeah, get two. You can plug them in. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a concern. I think a valid concern without going to the Apple's doom, like. Macs are a small part of Apple's business. For any other company, this would be an incredibly successful, high-margin, profitable thing. They would be iterating on like crazy, trying to innovate, trying to stay ahead of the market. For Apple, it's a tiny part of the business. It's, it's like I say, it's highly profitable, just like their other lines of business. Um, but uh, it just doesn't. It's not getting the attention that Mac users would like. It may be getting the amount of attention that is appropriate for Apple and for the future of you know standalone computers, but. Um, I'm I'm not in the market for a Mac, so I'm not super frustrated. But I know people, especially again the creative professionals, the people who want to push the limit, people who want the best thing, um, and gamers. Uh, they want new machines. They will pay for new machines. Yeah, <laughs> Apple is people out yeah, there shaking I mean, like, the bonds of cash. New frontiers need need this stuff like yeah, VR, and VR and AR. I know it's people... both going to be more and more important. Even Tim Cook is like augmented reality is going to be yeah. a huge part of your life. And what are you going to do it on? And you know, and frankly, you know, this is the funny part is I don't know if, if regular listeners know this. If you're not a developer, and I you know I've run Xcode from time to time for things, and I ran I had an app that I uh, that I owned for a couple of years, uh, so I had to run Xcode and and compile. Even when you're making like normal kinds of software, a faster Mac is better for you because Xcode takes a lot of time to do things and it, and it emulates other devices. So having a faster Mac can actually improve your development cycle if you're a uh, you know, Mac OS or iOS developer. So, um, you know, there's some hundreds of thousands or, well, probably, I'm sorry, there's millions of people who are developing software for Apple platforms, some of them more seriously than others. And some percentage of those people would buy faster computers the moment they're available. And that happened with the Mac Pro and then the iMac when that was refreshed. And uh, so there's a market just among that community, the creative professionals, people who are high-end users who just want the best thing, they're going to buy it. It's not like there's not a market. So it's, um, it's frustrating to see it languish. 
should we finish up with adapters? Do you want to talk about adapters? Yeah. Of course of you course. do. Of course. I love adapters. Um, <laughs> I went through this a bit last week. Uh, so Roman Loyola has written a terrific roundup of all of the Thunderbolt 3 compatible USB-C stuff that um, we've reviewed at Macworld. And uh, so you can – if you're trying to figure out what's going to be available, what you can get to plug in, you go to Macworld.com and see a bazillion things that work today. Um, he was like, you need to edit this. It's kind of long. Because when he told me he was <laughs> writing that, long. I was like, hey, that's useful. Go ahead and write it. And then he started writing it. And then he kept writing. Well, it was like and 15 writing, sections. And writing, and writing. He was like, holy cow, there's a lot. It's great. It's comprehensive, which is great. And, and Roman back in December had reviewed Thunderbolt 2 docs, all of which uh, are compatible, to my knowledge, with an adapter with uh, the, the Thunderbolt 2 to 3 adapter, which is 50 bucks from Apple. Uh, you'll be able to use those with USB-C Thunderbolt 3 as well. So um, – there's a lot of stuff out there, and I think it'll. when the MacBook Pros ship, there will be less anger about adapters as people actually figure out what they need to use, right? Because right now, it just seems like an expensive thing. And a lot of people and at are least the ecosystem is a little more mature than it was when the MacBook oh, launched in 2015. Like, that was like, oh, man, what can we get for this thing? And now there are plenty of adapters. There are plenty of docks. It sucks that you have to buy them to plug things in. But it's also sort of nice. Like I think about the ports on my old MacBook Pro that I used to have. And I mean, it had, it had a plug, it had a connection for everything. And I used, you know, I used the USB ports and that was pretty much it. So at least this way, it's kind of like you get to choose your own adventure. And like any <laughs> anything can be plugged into any of those Thunderbolt ports as long as you have the right adapter. So although it does blow to have to buy a bunch of adapters... If you want four Ethernet jacks on your laptop, you can have it. I mean, you wouldn't want that, but you know, it's like you can do whatever you need to do in a in a in a, a much better way because you aren't constrained by, okay, like if this has an SD card slot that I've never used. I wish something else was in that place. Well, this, I put up a poll just for um, you know. I know it's self-selected, but I wanted to find out. Uh, partly to get feedback, people, uh, there's a field where you can enter information too. But I said, how do you use your MacBook ports? Uh, exist, or, sorry, Mac laptop ports now, like all of them. And I asked questions about, are you attaching any Thunderbolt 2 or mini display port devices to your Mac? Do you charge your iPhone or iPod, uh, iPad through your Mac laptop? And what's interesting is I think there's a lot of diversity of use. So what you're saying is accurate is if you get a MacBook Pro of uh, the previous generation, it has, I don't know, I think six port types on it, right? Five port types, it's got HDMI, it's got, it, some had Ethernet, there's Thunderbolt, um, there's USB, there's a power connector, you know, that kind of thing. So you have all these different uh, SD card slot, right? So you have all these different ports and slots and things. And a lot of people, like I le- asked, you know, so I got 300 something responses. Again, self selected, but the diversity, again, is what's interesting. I don't have like 90% of people agreeing on anything. Over 50% of the people who responded said they never use the SD card slot and uh, most only use it a few times a month or less frequently. Um, half the people, a little under half, said they never use a USB keyboard or mouse. You know, ha- uh, and uh, But like in charging, it's more diverse. Like a third of people say they never charge, but another 40% say a few times a month, 16% a few times a week, and 9% it's how they charge their iPhone or iPad. So that's the interesting part of having two or four identical ports on the MacBook Pro is that you can, if you need multiples of something, you can do it. I mean, Susie, did you look at the monitor numbers? You can put on a two 4K displays or one 5K display with the uh, 13-inch MacBook. With the 15-inch, mm-hmm. it's 
four 4K displays or two 5K displays. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. The 15 inch MacBook has like it has two controllers, right? For the th- for the Thunderbolt ports, so there's one on each side. So yeah, it can drive like a ridiculous number of displays. Yeah, so, so that is one very pro thing about the MacBook right. Pro. And I also think people right now, you see a lot of people posting. I mean, you know, I think there's a uh, a middle ground between it's not a problem and people dismissing people. Oh, it's not an issue. Forget it. And the people posting pictures of you will spend $250 on adapters and posting like, here's the eight adapters you need. It's like, no, you'll get a dock. I mean, someone posted a thing. You'll need four USB-C to USB type A adapters. Like you don't need four. You need either one or you get a cable or you'll get a dock with three ports or, you know, or you'll, your device, you know, whatever. And you don't need the lightning to USB-C cable. If you don't want to, you can just use USB type A generic adapter, but you could spend the 29 bucks and get that cable also. So I think, and I think Chuck von Rossbach, I mentioned earlier, he, one of the things he points out is for a professional device, like people are seeing a sticker shock of, Oh my God, I'm gonna have to buy a 50 to $200 worth of adapters or docks or whatever. But for a device that costs 2000 to $4,000. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. And and also and like you can't plug in the iPhone 7. It's like if you have the iPhone 7 and you have the MacBook, like buying the $25 cable is probably not out of your reach. And also people are looking at uh, this is the thing as somebody who has been reviewing USB-C equipment for a year and a half, people are pointing to Apple's adapters which are always overpriced and I think they're not the best in the field. There's certain things like the Lightning to USB-C cable you can only get from Apple right now, I believe. I don't think they've certified. There's no MFI for that from anybody else, you can get a USB-C type A adapter for $7. You don't have to pay mm-hmm. 20 from Apple. So you get four or $7 devices, you buy a pack of them, you know, you'll lose some, you get more. It's a hassle, but it's possible. And there are a lot of inexpensive cables from major manufacturers. You uh, And folks, just as a point, uh, I think I pointed this out last week, if you're getting USB-C cables, make sure and go to Amazon. Even if you don't buy them, read the reviews there and look, especially for Benson Leong. It's L-E-O-N-G. So Google engineer, mm-hmm, yes. go to Google plus to find his reviews and he's been reviewing stuff. And some cables are, he's actually, I think urged that, uh, I don't want to mention the name of the product, so I don't forget it, but one uh, well-known brands cable, I think he has urged that they recall it because it's not, I don't think it's dangerous, but it doesn't function correctly. Like it's actually out of spec. In other cases, he's found lesser well-known brand names or like no names that are made USB-C cables that don't, if you plug it in, say on one side to a 43 watt adapter and the other into your, you know, pixel C or whatever, it will not moderate the voltage correctly and it will actually can destroy hardware. So it's important. So brand name with USB-C are particularly important and reading the review is very, very important. Like I bought a black magic uh, cable uh, on his recommendation because, um, and I had never heard of the brand before. Uh, it's a very high quality looking cable. It did not cost a lot of money. And I wanted a USB-C, USB-C charging cable that was in spec to handle the uh, wattage for recharging a laptop. So I could test it with batteries and um, have an extra cable on hand in addition to the one that comes with the Apple adapter for the MacBook. So read reviews. Um, one other thing I want to clarify, by the way, is uh, I think the problem is USB-C, because it was introduced with USB, people think of it as a USB data yeah. standard, right? It's a physical standard. So we have to maybe adapt to calling things like there's USB over USB-C, there's Thunderbolt 3 over USB-C, there's DisplayPort over USB-C. So USB-C incorporates USB-C data standards. Um, 
alternate modes that include things like DisplayPort. Uh, PCI Express is supported. It's like encapsulated as part of the Thunderbolt 3 standard. It works yeah. over USB-C. That's going to be confusing. Um, and you'll have to look very carefully at cables. You won't damage something by – if you plug a Thunderbolt 3 cable into a USB-C a, a device <laughs> – how are we even going to talk about this? So you're going to have devices that are USB only over USB-C, and you'll take a Thunderbolt 3 cable, which will have a little lightning bolt symbol on its each end. You plug that into a USB only USB-C device. It will not damage the device. It will probably work if you plug out the other end of it into another USB only USB-C device. The only problem will be is you won't be able to take Thunderbolt 3 devices, plug them into USB-only ports on like a MacBook, 2016 MacBook. The U a Thunderbolt device will not work in that case. In every other case, uh, anything you use will work with a newer Thunderbolt 3 uh, port. And I think that will confuse people. But I think um, because it's so backwards compatible and people buying Thunderbolt 3 devices because they're so much more expensive – will know they have bought one because they've just laid out the extra money for it, right? So yeah. Um, one problem too, also maybe the LG 5K monitor uh, and any, any 5K monitor, there's not enough throughput in uh, in the USB-C, or sorry, US, uh, there's not enough throughput in the uh, non-Thunderbolt 3 flavor of USB-C. So if you want to do 5K, you have to use Thunderbolt 3 over USB-C. You can't use the regular DisplayPort um, version that works in the older version. So that's going to be confusing too. So you could buy a 5K monitor, plug it into, say, your 2016 MacBook and say, why doesn't this work? And you might sit there for a while and not have any good answer. So um, that's something to think about as well. Because 4K monitors, you can plug in directly. And 5K, you will not be able to. You have to have Thunderbolt 3 ports. Wow. Yeah. You know what they need? They need like a, one of those chat bots where you can just say, oh I gosh. have this and this, and then it'll find you like the dock that you need. Yeah, it's going to be really – yeah, like you can, you can avoid buying a lot of one-off adapters by buying a dock, but then you got to find the dock that has like the right mix of ports for you, and there's a lot of them. So I figure most yeah. people only need – I mean most people are going to want some type A ports, and some people are going to want Ethernet, and some people are going to want – uh, display port adapters and that is all pretty straightforward and it's only when you get to more esoteric things like there are some docs i mean the problem is some of the early docs are still underperforming i've you know we've got reviews that i've reviewed i think six five or six so far uh and uh the best one i like so far is there's a 60 dollars satechi that has um 4k hdmi out uh does power pass through and has two USB type A ports. And for a lot of purposes, that's great. Like you don't need anything else. Um it doesn't have an SD card slot. I'm still kind of looking for a favorite. I want I want I want ideally a dock that has an SD card slot for, for full size SD. Doesn't you know you can use an adapter for mini or for micro rather. Um it has two or maybe three USB type A ports, gigabit Ethernet, and HDMI 4K out. And that would be perfect. And with a short cable that's removable, high quality, and does power pass through. And it should probably cost something like that would be like 130 to 150 bucks, maybe in that range, maybe a little less as more of these ship. And that would give you essentially replicate all the ports you had, and you can just pull it off when you don't need it, right? Um, and when you're docked, it's like a mini dock you could have at an office. Um, you could unplug and take it with you. Maybe you'd have a type A adapter you'd just carry around for on the go. So you could be able to charge. Um, but that to me would probably be the perfect accompaniment. 
Yeah, a lot of the docs, like when we're talking about docs, just um, in case you haven't seen them, um, there used to be uh, those big like docking stations where you would dock your entire MacBook into it and you would have like your, you know, display and your external hard drive and everything hooked up to the docking station. And then that would kind of like attach to the sides and (laughs) go into all your ports and it would live on your desk. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about these USB-C docks, they're usually small, like hand-sized devices that attach with a USB-C cable to the MacBook, and then they have uh, additional ports on the side of the dock for you to plug in. But you can take it with you. Like they're small, they're light, they don't require you know power or anything. Any, they're not you know they're not bulk, too bulky to take with. Um, they would pop right in your laptop bag, and you could and you could go. So I haven't seen any that I would that I wouldn't. I thought was an unreasonable size for, for carrying around. There are some, yeah, there, there are portable docks and there are an increasing number. I've tested a couple. One, unfortunately doesn't work uh, from StarTech. Uh, it lets you support two monitors, but it does not, two external monitors, but it requires MST, which is multi-stream something, does not work with the MacBook. Um, it, yeah. Other Macs are supported, but it doesn't. So you can't do MST over USB-C uh, with the StarTech. So that's it's 200 and something dollars, so it's not worth it. But there are some full-size docks that, again, you just plug a USB-C cable. So you're not, you, know, doesn't, you don't have to get your laptop lever, you know, wedged into it that are AC-powered and are designed to be kind of permanent installations. Oh. So there are those. What will happen, I think, with Thunderbolt 3 docks is they'll be, you know, they'll have external, uh, they'll have a daisy chain Thunderbolt 3 uh, maybe multiple, I forget. No, it can daisy chain one. So it'll have an external Thunderbolt 3 port. It'll do pass-through power. It'll do multiple, it'll have multiple monitor ports for DisplayPort or HDMI or, or some variant. It'll have USB 3.1 Gen 1 or 2 ports ostensibly uh, and maybe SD card slot and all that. So there should be something. It might cost like that That kind of thing, might be 400 bucks. Ooh. And it's AC power. Oh, and it'll have gigabit Ethernet as well. Um and I think also I believe that Thunderbolt 3 will support 10 gigabit uh, Ethernet um, because it's got a 40 gig uh, bus structure there. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to come for people who are doing higher end stuff and they want to be able to come into an office, plop their laptop in and plug into multiple 4K or 5K monitors and have Ethernet and have their you know RAID array and um, – the, res- uh, the result the, the uh, other stuff they need to get their job done. Um, that's going to be doable. But uh, for now, there's this transition period. Um, we lived through the USB period when Apple said, "No more floppy drive, no more ADB. We're going with uh, <laughs> we're going with USB." I know nothing out there uses USB, but you'll love it. Promise. And uh, <sighs> this is sort of that phase. But we're a year and a half into the availability of peripherals. Oh, I'm so I'm sorry. The one thing I didn't say is people are treating this like. USB-C is not the thing that everything will be using in the future. Susie, everything is going to be USB-C in the future. The odds That's of finding type a, type a is going to fade out slowly. It won't disappear, um, but eventually you will find essentially everything above a certain level of you know quality manufacturer will be available either in a variant or only USB-C. So this is a transition period, but it's not a transition period for people to buy adapters forever in a year you'll be able to buy almost everything you need with a USB-C end to it, a plug to it as the native thing either included or you just buy a simple cable to connect it. Um, And it just won't be this hassle. So Apple's doing the pain thing again, but um, we'll all get there. 
Yeah. All right. Have we worn out the topic? I think so, right? I think we have. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I have one more, one more little tidbit. One more. We did test the 2016 MacBook Pro with function keys with the OWC Thunderbolt 2 dock. And it worked um, connected to Apple's Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapter. And then we also used that same Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapter. And we were able to use the Apple discontinued Thunderbolt display. So Rat Thunderbolt on. 2 things do work um, with that adapter. Oh, and man. yeah, we just weren't sure if like the ports on the dock would still work. And every port on the OWC Thunderbolt 2 dock worked. Oh, that's great. There's a lot of people out there with Thunderbolt Apple cinema displays. And let me tell you, because they email all the time saying, can I use my Apple cinema display with Thunderbolt with my MacBook? Now oh, you USB-C. Can. And I There's say, an adapter. And I said, you can't. But with the new MacBook Pro, you'll be able to. And um, what's funny is I tested recently a very specific USB-C dock. It only works with the 2015 MacBook, and it supports only the DisplayPort version. Cinema Display. The Cinema yeah. Display with DisplayPort, not the later Thunderbolt version. That's the one I have. I have the Cinema Display. It's great. Wait, no, no there, aren't there two? There's a Cinema Display with DisplayPort. There's Display the Cinema Port. Display, yeah, with DisplayPort, and then the, the Thunderbolt Display. They, they oh, I'm sorry, they called it the Thunderbolt Display. Right, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so the earlier one, but so this is for, they. this company making it was sort of peeved because they, it's uh, Nanda, I think, or Nando, I'm liking the name. They, I think they also have some adapters that people are excited about. They have a... Um, a micro USB to uh, type C adapter, I think. Um, but they, uh, I exchanged some email with them. because I'm like, all right, this seems very specific. And they're like, yeah, there's chipset issues. So they, they couldn't support the 2016 MacBook with it. And they couldn't support the Thunderbolt display because of some compatibility stuff. The chips just aren't available or it doesn't provide the right heat dissipation. So they released something that is very specific. But I think there are a lot of Apple cinema displays out there and some people bought MacBooks, and they will sell some, you know, thousands of this thing to a very specific audience. So I, I feel bad for them because I feel like they made something unintentionally. They wanted to make something that was bigger, uh, bigger audience, and they just weren't able to because of chipset limitations. Um, but that is not an issue. If you buy a MacBook Pro, you can use a, a dock or a um, – I think certain docks support this – or a Thunderbolt 3 to 2 adapter and use your Apple Thunderbolt display. Hooray! Yay! Now everyone's happy. So that now is now we can stop on a happy note. Adapter, <laughs> yeah, adapter. This is the adapter podcast, the uh, MacWorld adapter podcast. If you need help picking <sighs> out an adapter? Just email Glenn. Yeah, exactly. Please yeah. <laughs> get in touch. I'll see what I can do. Um, you know, I'm trying. I've been on the USB C beat for a while. I, I, the question is, I'm not buying a MacBook Pro. So the question will be like, how rapidly do those devices come out, and whether I need to upgrade in order to be able to test um, Thunderbolt 3 devices. We'll see. I don't know if I'll be on the Thunderbolt 3 beat, but Roman has that kind of nailed down. So maybe we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so folks, uh, that's it. We're done. Thank you for listening, Susie. Great to talk to you again. Uh, you too, as always. <laughs> I've, I've worn you out. We've had this too much adapter talk. All right. <sighs> Our brains have died. Um, folks, this you podcast can... went long and everyone's trying to slack me. And I'm like, shut up. I'm All podcasting. Right. podcasting. All right. So, folks, you can find us online at macworld.com. You can always email us podcast at macworld.com. Leave comments. We always look at them. I was just looking at comments from uh, uh, last week and the week before. Uh, we try to answer your questions. Find us on the Twitter, you can search for – actually, the easiest thing on Twitter is search for Susie Oaks, S-U-S-I-E 
O-C-H-S. <laughs> S-U-S-I-E. O-C-H-S. Much easier than SFCs, right? And uh, I'm Glenn F G L E N N F on Twitter. Ask us questions. Follow at Macworld. You know, we want to hear your feedback because uh, we spent a couple episodes talking about MacBook Pros. We know it's not a machine for everyone, but we also know people are concerned about what's happening and we're trying to sort that as well so we'll be back next week uh this has been remains glenn fleischman and uh this has been the macro podcast episode 532 for november 2nd 2016 and uh thank you again for listening